Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. I apologize for the much lower than normal octave of my voice. But here in New York City, we are covered in smoke from a fire up in Canada. And this is the result, a very low octave, somewhat crazy voice on my part. But today's podcast, I am so excited to talk about how to not use social media, how to launch and market your business without using social media at all, zero, zip, nothing. And to help me through this, I'm really happy to be joined by Dr. Amelia Harubi. She's a writer, educator, and podcaster with a PhD in philosophy. She's the founder and executive producer of Softer Sounds, a feminist podcast studio for entrepreneurs and creatives. And she is the host of Off the Grid, a podcast about leaving social media without losing all your clients. So yes, today we talk about the evolution of social media from a platform of personal use when it first started to a tool for content creation and marketing. She shares her journey of selling courses and self-publishing a book through Instagram and how she ultimately decided to leave social media altogether. We also explore the benefits and drawbacks of social media and the possibility of running a successful business as an entrepreneur without it. So everyone, please enjoy today's episode. And again, apologies for the voice. A big thank you to Dr. Ruby for being an awesome guest. So everyone enjoy today's episode. Hi, Emilio. Welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on. So thanks for joining me. Oh, hi, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. Okay. So today we're going to talk about social media, but not in the way people think of social mm-hmm. media. We're not going to talk about how to use social media to promote your gigs, to promote your business, to promote your podcast. We are actually going to talk about the lack of social media, period. So before we get into all the ins and outs of that. Can you talk a little bit more about your journey, just leaving social media and then starting a business without it? And just so people know, I send out like a little Google form and under social media, it just says N-A. <laughs> Amazing. First time that's ever happened. So <laughs> so let's talk about why you left social media and then how you started a business without it, which in this day and age is just like, it must blow people's minds when you say that. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And honestly, it still blows my mind a little bit. It was quite the journey. And so I'll say from the outset that I'm not someone who's like, I was never on social media. I was always too good for it. I knew it was going to harm. No, not that's not me at all. I got on social media like many of us in late high school, early college. I was on Facebook. I was on Instagram. I was on Twitter. Um, and at first, you know, I was just there hanging out with friends, checking in with people I knew over time that evolved 
And I started making content for social media. I started selling little courses. I sold stickers. I self-published a book. Um, and I sold all of that through my Instagram channel or platform or account. See, <laughs> I don't even know it's, the vocabulary it's just, anymore. It's out of your head already. <laughs> um, so I... I sold all of that on my Instagram. I was growing a platform there. I was a micro-influencer for a little while. I did some brand work and uh, partnered with various folks on things. And then I got a book deal and I worked really hard at growing my platform. Basically, when I got a book deal, everyone said, you need more Instagram followers. And so I hired a consultant I spent a lot of money on photos and graphics and all these things. I went all in and I did that for a year. My book came out to mixed success. I mean, I loved it. It was great. It sold kind of mediocrely, which is not unexpected. Um, At the time, my following was around 2000 people. And after I made it through that, I was like, I don't think Instagram's where I want to be anymore. So that's the journey in about 60 seconds mm-hmm. <laughs> from mm-hmm. getting on in college to starting to share writing, to growing it, to getting a book deal, to putting more effort in. Um, and at that point, kind of this all came to a head in early 2021. And at the start of 2021, I wrote this Instagram post that now is like forever memorialized. I mean, on my old account and also in my brain. And it was called Instagram Rules for 2021. I was feeling overwhelmed, anxious. I was so caught in like compare and despair. I was caught in feeling like the algorithm was always never showing my post to anyone. I was caught in so much stress just around how much content I felt like I needed to make and how I couldn't ever feel like I was keeping up on Instagram to, you know, sell my courses, sell my book, do the things I was trying to accomplish there. And so I made this post, Instagram rules for 2021. And when I wrote it, I laid out all the things I was going to do and not do on Instagram that year. And it was mostly like, I will log on on Monday. I will share my Monday post. I will log off. I will log back in one more time during the week to engage. And I made all these really strict rules for myself around how I was going to be present on Instagram And when I did that, I had a real, I finished writing the post. I wrote it in my journal. I like hand wrote this for myself (laughs) and I like typed it up so I could like schedule it in later as I did at the time, (laughs) made my graphic that said Instagram rules for 2021. And by the time I pressed schedule, I had this real epiphany moment of this feels exactly how all of my other codependent relationships in my life have ever felt. Like anytime I've needed this many boundaries in a relationship, it's been because I was really caught in a codependent spiral. And I had this sudden realization that I could get out of codependency. (laughs) Like I had been to therapy. (laughs) I knew how to do that. I knew how to step away from all of these things. And it required stepping away. And so this happened in early 2021, I think January or early February. And I decided at that point in time that I would leave Instagram. (laughs) And it felt like I paused there because I'm like, it felt huge. It felt impossible. It felt like something I could not do. And I decided to do it. 
And maybe I'll pause there because I can go. I mean, there's a lot that happened. I know mm-hmm. your question was like, what happened afterwards? But now I've getting, gotten you to the moment of when I was leaving. And I'll pause and see if you have any you know, follow-up questions from the first half of the story. Well, I guess the question is, is when you sort of hit that delete button, what were the, what kind of feelings did that bring up for you? So was it it that FOMO? Was it, did it create a little more anxiety at first or was it just like, no, I, I am confident and I'm stepping into where I need to be and it's a sense of relief or was it just a mixed bag? I think it was a little bit of both the different points and in that moment. Um, I would say I wanted to leave Instagram for something like six months or more. You know, even by the time my book came out in October and by the time my book had come out, I was done. I was like ready to, I was over it. I was ready to be done. Um, But I felt like I couldn't leave. And so I was in this sort of feeling of like misalignment with like, I don't enjoy this or being present here, but Mm -hmm. I have to, it was like the big story in my head and the story I was being told, you know, by editors, agents, any PR person, marketing person I ever talked to. And so I sat in that kind of distress and discomfort for quite a while. And I think that by the time I did get to that sort of aha moment of the codependency realization, it felt like I don't know if it was relief yet, but it took me to this new place of sureness. I was like, okay, I know what I have to do now. And then I had to, did have to like work up the courage to do it. Like then I had to be like, okay, uh, I kind of had to grip my teeth and be like, we're at the same place I've been so many times of having to like step away or having to do something else. And from there, I kind of worked through some of the feelings of like, am I going to miss out? What's going to happen? Is this possible? Am I going to lose my business? Am I going to Um, what comes next for me without Instagram, like all those questions came up, but I was able to finally really start sorting through them because I knew I, I was, had to leave. I felt sure about that. Okay. So you hit the delete button and then what happens? How do you then move forward with your business? It sounds like it was really, like you said, dependent on a social media presence. Yeah. So the first, I'd say the first thing I had to do was to actually make some decisions about leaving. So I did not delete my account. My Instagram account is still up. Um, At that point, I had spent, gosh, six years, five or six years, um, you know, creating a lot of content. And there was a lot of like comments and engagement and things that I had done and had happened with my Instagram profile and community that I didn't want to just take down. So I decided to leave my account up as like an archive of everything I had done there. Um, So that was kind of the first step was deciding like, what does leaving mean to me? And to me, leaving meant that I would no longer be present or posting on the platform, but my account would still, still Mm -hmm. be there. I also, once I decided to leave. Then I announced I was leaving. And then there was two months, maybe a little more between when I announced I was leaving and when I actually left. And so there was this period where I spent a lot of time kind of educating my audience on why I was leaving, explaining where I would be going, and just constantly asking them to sign up for my newsletter list. 
And so I think through the two months of doing that, I did get about a little over half of my Instagram following that um, moved over to my list. Um, many of them were already there, but I, that list kind of grew. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I would guess it went from around 500 people to no, probably from around 400 people to around 800 people just through telling them I was leaving. Mm -hmm. So I moved my audience to my mailing list, which is like a really important piece of it for me. Yes. The something I see, this is jumping ahead a bit, but something I see all the time in people's relationship with social media is they get overwhelmed and they just log out and leave and ghost their whole community there. (laughs) And that does not serve your business. Um, So I just had this really intentional plan for sharing that I was leaving and then leaving. And then the other thing I realized in this process was that the type of business I was building on Instagram, I would not be able to have without Instagram. And so I had to choose a different type of business. I was running a sort of influencer business before, which to me meant I was doing brand deals. So I was doing some paid content. I was selling courses from the free content I was offering. Mm -hmm. And then I had some occasional like one-on-one session work that I did with people. And I I realized that model would require me to have a huge audience that I just wasn't getting on Instagram. And it would require just like the price points, it just wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like, I could right. put in more and more years on this, but it's not going to become a full-time income. And for me, it was really important. This was all happening around the time that I was like leaving a job. And I was like, I want to run my own business and it needs to actually pay for my life. Like I was not starting a hobby. I was not starting a side hustle. I was starting full-time self-employment. Mm-hmm. And so after I left Instagram and left the job I was working at, I had like a three-month Mm. I kind of like a one month full sabbatical and then two months of sort of sabbatical. Um, And during that time, I decided to launch my current business, Softer Sounds. And so that started in July of 2021. And we're about two years in now. And it is um, shaping up to be solidly like a six figure business and revenue, at least annual revenue, at least, and supports me and my dog and my cat and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and our nice little, little life out here. So, um, but I think back to your question, the big thing I had to realize was that the business I was building through Instagram wasn't sustainable for me on or off Instagram. And so I had needed to do something different and I really had to figure out what that was going to be and what it required of me. Right. So for the listeners out there, I think it's important to take the time to like do an an audit, like an internal audit, especially if you're an entrepreneur. I know a lot of uh, a lot of listeners out there are Um, you have to really think about is is the business you're building, number one, sustainable long term? Um, Is that your goal? If it's not great. You know, but if it is, like you said, this is not my side hustle or a hobby. This is what I'm going to be doing to support myself. Mm-hmm. So if you're using Instagram to kind of start a, a business, you really have to be clear on, well, what, what is that business? Is it, are you going to keep your full-time job and do this on the side or, or is this going to be something that's really sustainable? So I think doing a, a real big internal audit into your process is really important here. Yeah, definitely. I just think knowing 
<laughs> this is going to sound so basic. Knowing what you want is yeah. half of it, if not yeah. almost all of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is actually one of the ma- primary dangers of social media is on social media, we really can get swept away in other people's narratives of success mm-hmm. through the sort of aspirational nature of these platforms. Um, that happens in the content we consume, but also the platforms themselves really direct us toward vanity metrics that when you're running a business, probably don't actually impact your bottom line, which most for most of us is for most, money. yes. Money. Right. Um Unless you're an are an influencer where the number of followers you have directly relates to how much you can charge for posting. But if you're a service provider who's just sharing your work through social media, you know, follows, likes, that's a, those are all vanity metrics that these platforms are telling you are the most important thing. But actually, for most people I work with around re-evaluating social media and their work, they come to realize that it doesn't make them as much money as they're convinced it probably does because of the way that we're told we have to be on social media by all marketing people and platforms that we encounter. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, as you were talking, it sort of got me into the who, why, and the what of it all. So it's like, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're going to have a social media platform and if you're going to have a business, you have to know who you are, who do you help, why do you do it? And to your point, what do you want out of it? And most importantly, what is your impact? What do you want your impact to be? And mm-hmm. if you can answer those questions and social media aligns with it, okay. But if it doesn't, then you have to pour your resources into the things, like you said, that are going to help give you the outcomes you want, whether it's community engagement, and we can talk about that later, I mean, actual community, the community in which you live community with mm-hmm. people in real life, um, you know, the money you want to make, the life you want to live. So um, I, I, you know, you have me thinking of all sorts of things now and I'm like, do I need to be on social media? I don't know, <laughs> maybe not. So that being said, let's talk about the best and worst things about social media for small business owners. So I'll hand the mic yeah. over to you. Yeah. So I think the best, one of the best things about social media for small business owners is that it is free. It's a free way to share your work and to gather a community, at least virtually around your work. And I do think that this is, there's, I have an episode of my podcast off the grid called the, I think five myths of social media marketing. Um, And it really like starts with this, like there's this promise and there it's true. Social media is free. We can get on it. And when it started, that was in great contrast to the cost of digital marketing or traditional Mm -hmm. marketing. So now it may sound silly to be like, of course it's free. Everything on the internet feels free. (laughs) But when social media was first starting for businesses, most marketing wasn't free. It was expensive. And so I I don't want to discount that like it's a free way to share your work and that's really important for so many people starting out and it makes marketing more accessible which makes starting a business more accessible. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the best things about it. Um I also think that it can help you reach an audience that goes far beyond your local community, the place that you live. So I run a business where I don't have any local clients. That's all mediated by the internet, not by social media, but at this point, but I still have lots of relationships with people I met on social media before that have supported my business. So I'm not saying it hasn't been helpful. I think those are some of the best things. 
Um, and then I think, I think also social media can be really great place. If you run the kind of business that is attentive to trends or needs to be, it's a great place to spot trends. It's a great place to be, um, ahead of the curve or in the future a little bit, which can really benefit a lot of types of businesses. Um, it's a great way to be really playful in your marketing, to be kind of constantly innovating. I think there can be a really beautiful creative practice or like flow you can get into with social media. Like when I really enjoyed posting on Instagram, it's because I got in that flow and it was working for me. I think the worst parts of social media for small business are some things I've already kind of pointed to. Um, I think that it's so easy, too easy even to get caught up in other people's narratives of success and then lose track of what you actually want. Do you want to run a full-time business? Do you want a side hustle? Do you want like two clients and some extra cash on top of your job? Do you want to just like offer a free workshop every month and build a community and it's not about making money for you? Like there are so many different paths to success in sharing your work or running a business. And I think that social media just kind of sells us this, like, you need more followers and you need more money. And that's not mm -hmm. what all of us need. Like, that's not what success means to me or lots right. of people that I know and work with. So I think that's one of the worst things about it. I think, again, the vanity met metrics is a real problem there. Like, if we put all of our four people who want to be self-employed or support themselves with their own full-time work, social media really encourages us to put our focus on the number of followers we have. When I find that for most service providers, um, we actually don't need a following at all. We need a, a handful or a few dozen great clients and we get those by building a really intentional network and that's all we actually need. <laughs> um, and so I think those are two of, of the worst things. And then It just comes down to distraction, I guess. I think both of those things are about distraction. Yes. That is the worst thing. Like we get so distracted and disconnected from, as you said before, the who, the what, and the why of our work. And so caught up in making graphics and videos and perfect captions and vi trying to go viral so that we can get our work in front of more eyeballs who aren't even necessarily buying what we sell. <laughs> um, I just think that's a really big distraction. And I too often see people who are under-resourced in their business, meaning they're not making enough money um, or as much money as they want to be making, or who just like burn out and abandon their business because yeah. they've gotten so distracted by social media marketing and gone so far away from their their work and what they actually do, which is not social media marketing. So I think those are some of the the real dangers of it for, for all yeah. of us who run our own business. Yeah. And I think that each one of those best and worst will hit a nerve with someone somewhere. Um, and I also, to kind of go back to what you said earlier in our discussion, that compare and despair, because mm -hmm. you're like, especially if you're a service provider. So I'm a physical therapist. A lot of people listening might be physical therapists, trainers, coaches. And mm -hmm. so you see people put content out and you're like, well, you know, I, I would probably put similar content. So it's already out there. So, oh, well, and you know, my production isn't as good as there. So no one's going to, you know, it, you get that comparison and then it sort of 
send you down the rabbit hole, so to speak, mm-hmm. yeah. um, or like the pit of despair, not to uh, shout out to a princess bride, but you know, <laughs> it's it, you can kind of sometimes feel that in social media that, gosh, everyone else has already done this a million times. So why, why bother? What's the point? Yeah. And that narrative then can overtake any supportive Everything. thing your clients say, anything right. you believe about your work. Um, and it can make you feel like what you need to be doing is making a cooler video or a cooler whatever, or a fresher take on this. Or, ha- I mean, for me, it often, often would come up and like, oh, I have to have an opinion on this thing that everyone's talking about when in fact, like, I don't. No, you don't. <laughs> I really don't. I don't need an opinion on that. And I don't need to share it publicly. Um, you know, there are cases where in my experience of social media, there were things that I was really glad were brought to my attention or conversations that were started, you know, around racial equity or gender in business. Like those are things I'm happy to have and share opinions and thoughts on. But then there are other things where I'm like, I've been thinking a lot about everything happening on Twitter and Elon Musk and all this. I'm like, I don't need to have an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed how how many of the content creators I follow via newsletters they all need to have an opinion on it. You know, we get so caught up in that like cycle of like, everyone's talking about this. I have to talk about this. Everyone's doing this. I have to do this, but they've already done it. So mine won't be good enough. So maybe I'm not original enough. So maybe I shouldn't actually be doing this at all. And it like, you know, that's the spiral we can get really trapped in. And then all of a sudden you haven't worked in or on your business in a week or a month because you got so caught up in that. Right. A hundred percent. So the thing that suffers is your your business, your originality, your, mm-hmm. your work, mm-hmm. you know, and but then by extension, the people you could be helping with your work, mm-hmm. if you're a service provider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, the that that one person out there that needed to hear your voice isn't hearing it because you're down this rabbit hole for weeks on end. So mm. yeah. I get it. I feel like I've I've been there. I'm sure many other people listening have been there as well. Yeah. Um, so now here comes the big question is how how do we find our base, find our clientele without social media? Where how are we supposed to find them? Yeah. So this is where I like to remind people that businesses did find clients for <laughs> decades, centuries, even A before there was social media. <laughs> what? So, I know it's impossible to believe. Um, I start there because I think that we have all been so indoctrinated in the myth of social media marketing that it is the only way to find clients. And you've heard me say it already in this episode, like this idea that we have to be on social media, like people, it may be an internal narrative, but often it's just like the external one. Like people straight up tell you, oh, you're starting a business. You have to be on social media. You have to be on TikTok. You have to be on YouTube, whatever it may be. Um, And I think that I start with this emphasis on businesses have been finding clients for a really long time without social media to remind us that It doesn't have to be that way because in fact, it wasn't that way in the past and it doesn't have to be in the future. Um, Similar to, I'm totally not going to remember who said this and maybe it was Ursula Le Guin or, or someone else, but you know, the divine right of Kings seemed impossible. Like it would never end until it did. Mm -hmm. And it did Mm -hmm. right. The 
the premise supremacy of social media marketing seems like it will never end until it does, until you decide you're done with it. So then how do you find clients from there? Well, I always recommend people have a newsletter list, send emails, find an owned channel that you like. And I just think email is currently the most effective one. Um, So start an email list, put your current clients on it, let other people sign up for it, (laughs) start sending emails. Even if you only send an email when you have an opening and you want a new client, great. I'm not saying you have to do a bunch of, you have to start a newsletter or email marketing, just start an email list where you can reach out to people intentionally and let them know about yourself and your work. Um, I also think there are other forms of content marketing that can be helpful. Having a website, posting blog posts on your website, having a podcast can be great ways to reach potential clients. But I think the most powerful, especially for service providers, is like talking to people, is growing your network really intentionally. So talk to current clients, ask them for referrals actively, set up fun, intentional bonuses. If they get referrals, like be creative with it so that people feel really encouraged to share your work and share what you do and tell other people about it. Um, reach out to when I launched my business, it did not have a social media presence. And I sent in the first week we opened 66 emails to people I had worked with at some point in so many different capacities from Mm -hmm. like people I met in undergrad to like people I had just done paid work for. And I told them all that I had started this business, what I was offering and how they could help. And that booked me out for my first four months, six months, maybe of people, not necessarily those people, but like those people and people they knew that Mm -hmm. they referred to me. Mm -hmm. And I just think most people skip that step. What happens now is you're going to launch a business. So you put up an Instagram page and ask people to follow you. But it's way more effective to actually reach out and be like, I'm starting a business. Do you want to buy this or do you know somebody who does? I mean, say it maybe a little better, more finessed than that. But essentially, that's networking and then keeping up with people. And then once you have clients doing the things I mentioned of asking for referrals in creative ways, um, seeing if there are ways you can get in front of those people's networks and share what you do. So I do a lot of podcast guesting like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, have If you have a podcast or you can do guest blog posts or you can teach guest classes, those are all good ways to sort of borrow audiences, as people say. And I think that here comes my kind of big, biggest claim I have maybe on this okay. episode. Um, I think most people take their business straight to social media because they're afraid of selling what they do. And it's way scarier to actually reach out to a real human being that you know and say, I do this now. Are you interested in buying it? That is so much scarier than putting up an Instagram post and blaming the algorithm when not that many people see it. Well, selling is hard. Yeah. No, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that because it's not. It's It's scary. It's scary. And selling has been told to us that it is hard. That's why you need a sales executive or you need a salesperson to do your sales because Mm -hmm. it's, it's scary. It's hard. That's what's been told to us. And also, I think coming from a physical therapy standpoint, as a physical therapist, we never had to sell, mm-hmm. right? It's like people yeah. were injured, the doctor referred them, and that's it. Like you weren't really, quote unquote, selling 
directly mm-hmm. to the consumer, if you will. You're maybe meeting doctors and starting relationships, but mm-hmm. not so much selling. Um, and it it also, for a lot of people, conjures the used car salesman, mm-hmm. you know, that slick kind of icky feeling of yeah. selling, right? Yeah. So it, that is a big part of it. So how did did you ever have those feelings? I mean, uh, like I mentioned, you have a PhD in philosophy. So were you able to like philosophize over that <laughs> ickiness? Like, how did you do that? <laughs> well, I don't know if philosophy taught me anything about sales. That's a great question that I will save, ruminate on and maybe answer on my podcast mm. one day. Um, it the Philosophy definitely helped me with some of the critical thinking I did along this process. But Mm -hmm. I think in terms of sales, for me, sales is just about relationships. And if I am in right relationship, or I just have a good relationship with the people that I'm trying to sell to, or the people who know the people I'm trying to sell to, um, then I don't really have to sell that much. If the relationship is good, I just have to introduce myself or reintroduce myself and share what I do. Mm -hmm. And then when they either they'll want it then or when they're ready for it, they'll think of me and want to come work with me. So I think of sales as relationship tending and network building. And then the selling is just sharing my work openly, honestly, transparently, kindly, Um, I don't try to convince anybody they need what I'm buying. That feels important to me. Like it in softer sounds in my podcast studio, I never convince anyone they need to start a podcast. In fact, I do a lot of discernment with people of like, is, do you need to start a podcast? Is this a good time for you to start a podcast? I've done so many sales calls where by the end, the person is like, you're great. Love what you do. Realize I don't want to start a podcast right now. (laughs) And like, and they say, thank you. And then when they are ready, they come back and they buy from me Mm -hmm. because they trust me at that point. And so that's how I've reframed sales for myself. It's about relationships. It's about sharing and it's about trust building because the used car salesman feels so sleazy Mm -hmm. because we feel pressured. We feel rushed. We don't trust them. And especially in the history of car sales in the US, like we're afraid of getting totally scammed. And so- as long as you avoid those things, don't pressure people, don't make them buy something they don't actually need, don't scam them, <laughs> um, and don't mm, like be respectful and operate with like mutual consent, right? You know, don't sell to people who don't want to, who don't know who you are, who don't want to hear from you, or have never said right. they want to hear from you. Right. That's so much of it too. Um, and I think, especially when we go back to social media, people, um, you know, are like, I hate direct sales because what they mean by that is getting DMs from strangers trying to get them to buy something. I can't. So, <laughs> right. It's so much. And then like, I'll put, oh, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. But what if, blah, 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 and you're like, yeah. oh my God, no. no. Oh. Yeah. Don't do that. I am no. not saying, do not do that. Do yeah. not do that. I don't think any of this should happen in a DM. <laughs> I, I like. I think an email is definitely the yeah. way to go for for selling in this like directly in this way. But yeah, like build the relationships first, and then and I think you know I attribute the relatively quick success of my business, the fact that I was able to start it and it could fully it full time supported me immediately. That is all due to the relationships I had built. I was relationship building with that community of people for five to six years before I ever Mm -hmm. launched a business. Mm -hmm. And 
I get a lot of people who come to me and want, basically want me, want me to teach them what I did. And I'm like, go grow a network for three to five years and then you can launch and, and like, it can work like this. Right. But people don't want that answer. They want the like. They want the quick fix. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's why the promise of virality is so powerful because it's what people want. You want it that fast, but that's also, you know, one in a million or whatever. That's not right. It's like stat, the o- it's rare. The, yeah. The overnight success that took five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's what exactly. happens. You know, it <laughs> yeah. just doesn't happen that quickly. Um, yep. Oh, wait, what was I going to, I had a thought in my head before I lost it. It was right here. And I was like, oh, I got to ask about, nope. I, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Um, as you were talking about being like the used car salesman or the slick mm-hmm. or sleazy, I, when people say that to me, I don't want to, I don't want people to think I'm coming off as like this pushy salesy, you know, slick person. And I was like, but you're none of those things. Mm-hmm. So if you're none of those things in real life, then why would you change yourself to be those things when you are speaking to someone about one of your products, like yeah. it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a thing. So like, get over that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> like you're not going to suddenly become a used car salesman because you've no. decided to sell your work. It Most of us don't have that in us. It's a very right. specific type of human. <laughs> right. um, or, and honestly, they're trained into that. So unless you, that's your world, like you're not going to accidentally be that person. Right. Um, but I also think a lot of that behavior, you know, it comes out of desperation or it comes out of being at a point where you really feel like your business isn't working and you're like trying to throw everything at the wall, which I think every business owner gets there or has been there at some point. But again, if you've done the relationship building, even when you get to that point, you'll be able to honestly, openly go to your community and say like, here's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. This is the type of support that I need right now. Can you or someone, you know, is is you or someone, you know, interested in this? So I keep Mm -hmm. circling back to like, how do we be the opposite of the used car salesman? Well, we, you know, operate with mutual consent. We are respectful. We don't pressure people. And we're really clear about what we offer and what we want in return. And I think those are all, you know, things I learned in therapy, (laughs) ways to help uh, resolve and cure codependence. Like it all comes back to that because relationships are so much about communication and about the clarity of that. And, you know, sales, is you're not going to be that person and you don't need to be to sell. But I think the other thing I'll just say to finish that thought is like, as business owners, we have to do things that we're scared of all the time. And I think if you don't want to do that, that's okay. You don't have to run a business. Like I, I, it's not required, (laughs) you know, it's not required of any of us. And I think if you do want to run a business, the, more work you can do to embrace change, embrace like those growth edges and learn to just like leap off some of those cliffs and just go for it, especially the ones around, you know, visibility, selling your work, charging Mm -hmm. money. Those are things we all have to do as business owners. And the more you can get comfortable with that, with the unknown, with the asking, with the being told no, with the saying no, um, I think the more ease and success that you'll find in your business. At least that's been my experience. 
Yeah. I And I, I agree with that 100%. That's been my own experience, and I've seen it in a lot of other mm-hmm. entrepreneurs as well. Um, well, that being said, I was going to ask, and I feel like, boy, you really wrapped that up nicely, but <laughs> I'm going to ask the question anyway, yeah. is what are the, you know, in for you, what are the big takeaways you want the listeners to take from our conversation on how to have business success without social media? Yeah. So the number one takeaway is simply that you do not have to be on social media. If you are there and you love it, great. I'm glad you listened to this whole episode. <laughs> I hope it was affirming <laughs> of your current life choices. That's great. I I'm support you being there if you're enjoying yourself. If you're not and it's not working for your business, you don't have to be there. Write it down. Give yourself the permission slip. We're here to say it to you. You don't have to be. You have to market your business, but you get to choose how you do it. So I guess that's takeaway number two. Mm-hmm. You have to market your business, but you get to choose how you do it. And I think if you want support in that process, that's entirely what my podcast is about is creative marketing practices without social media for all sorts of businesses, especially service providers, and especially people with a small to mid-size audience, um, which is probably a lot of the audience and listeners of this, this show Absolutely. at this stage. Absolutely. So yeah. Well, where can people find you? Yeah. So you can not find me on social media, <laughs> but you can find Softer Sounds on the internet at softersounds.studio. And you can find me online at ameliafruby.com. And if you want to, if you enjoy this conversation, what you're going to want to do is go listen to my podcast. It's called Off the Grid, Leaving Social Media Without Losing All Your Clients. It's great for people who are on social but want to get off social without wrecking their business. It's great for people who want to launch a business without social media. And it's really great for people who intend to stay on social media but want their marketing to be, or their revenue to be less dependent on social media. So go find it in any podcast listening platform that you like. We are everywhere. Uh, Again, it's off the grid, leaving social media. You have to add the leaving social media because there are lots of other podcasts called off the grid. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Oh yeah, right. Totally. And and just for anyone who's listening to this right now, whatever platform you're listening on, if you scroll down to the notes on the platform, we'll have links directly to all of Amelia's uh, websites. So you can click on, you can listen to the podcast and you can uh, check out uh, her two websites as well. So that will all be right underneath. And I'm like, people can't see because <laughs> I'm on a podcast, but it's like yeah. I'm on YouTube. So it's right underneath. Um, anyway, uh, before I let you go, last question. It's when I ask everyone and it is, what advice would you give to your younger self or to your 20-year-old self? Let's be more specific. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self that everything you're doing that makes no sense together right now will eventually integrate and become a really beautiful life path. <laughs> it and you don't need the clarity that you're desperately desiring in this moment. You'll find it in your 30s. It's fine. It's okay to not have it right now. That's what I would tell her. Excellent advice. And I would uh, stamp that as 100% agree with. So Amelia, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a great conversation. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but I loved it. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Karen. 
And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.